Uh, because the bulletin has the text there for you. So if you open your bulletin, the scripture text is printed on the right side. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Amen. That is God's word. Two years ago, the boxer known as Muhammad Ali died at the age of 74 with Parkinson's. In his illustrious boxing career, Ali won 56 out of his 61 total fights. 37 of those wins were wins by knockout. He also won the gold medal in Rome during the 1960 Olympics. But if any of you followed Ali's career, with his achievements came a very heavy dose of pride. Ali is infamously known by his self-given nickname, The Greatest. He gave himself that nickname after beating Sonny Liston in 1964. After the fight, Ali boasted, I want everyone to bear witness. I am the greatest. I'm the greatest thing that ever lived. I don't have a mark on my face. I upset Sonny Liston. I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. I showed the world. He continued to repeat that line throughout his entire career. He seemed invincible at times in the ring and in life. When suddenly in 1984, the man who claimed to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee was suddenly diagnosed with Parkinson's syndrome at a rather young age of 42. And in a tragic twist of irony, the man who once knocked out grown men with his hands could no longer keep his hands steady to even sign his name. Last week, if you remember, we concluded our three-part series, and, and, the, and the sermon was entitled, Life is a TDY. But if, if you remember our second sermon in the series, the message was regarding the proper stewardship of our gifts and our talents. Today, the message is on humility, and it is fitting that it follows on the heels of a message on talents because so often we tend to boast about our talents. Yet the Bible reminds us that everything we have, from our talents, our time, possessions, and loved ones, they are all gifts from God. And if they're gifts, we don't have a basis to boast. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul asks, and I quote, Why... What do you have that God hasn't given you? 
And if everything you have is a gift from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? So everything we have is a gift. Humility, then, is a posture of faith. Pride is a form of implicit atheism. I'm going to draw out that point a little bit later in my sermon. But for now, I want you to go home remembering something very, very simple. I want you to go home remembering this. God loves humble people, and so do you. God loves humble people, and so do you. See, verse 6 of today's text teaches us the first point. We know that God loves humble people because verse 6 says that God gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I need more of God's grace in my life. I am a mess up. I need as much of God's grace that I can garner in my life. And so if God gives grace to the humble, I will strive for humility to gain more grace. And here's how you gain it. Here's how you gain it. It says it right here. Be humble. The Bible from cover to cover is filled with examples of what happens to the proud. Often theologians have this notion of what they term root sins, and pride is a root sin. Satan, for example, we know, was once an angel, but fell and became a demon, destined for hell because of pride. The story of our history begins in the garden, Adam and Eve. And before they even took a bite out of that forbidden fruit, they committed the sin of pride inside their hearts. Adam and Eve fell to the sin of pride and sought to supplant God. And therefore, they ate the forbidden fruit. Augustine once said it very well. He said, the sin occurred before the act. Pride already seeped into their hearts. King David proudly numbered his people against the will of God and suffered horrible consequences. If you remember the story in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up in pride as he looked out at his great and vast Babylonian empire. Remnants of that empire still remain today, archaeologically. And and Nebuchadnezzar looked out at, at his vast empire And he said, is this not the great Babylon that I've created with my hands? And at that very moment, God stripped him of his reason. And he ran around like a beast until he learned that God ought to receive all the glory. King Herod was struck down in the book of Acts because he comes out in his royal um, robes and And the people cry out, it is the voice of a a God, not of a man. And he fails to give God the glory. And it says that an angel struck him. And Josephus tells us historically that he was um, hit with an intestinal disease. And all of his bowels gushed out. And he died a horrible death. If there's one thing clear in Scripture, it is that God loves humble people and he opposes proud people. And to be honest, if you're going to be honest, you love humble people too. And you oppose proud people as well. But the truth is, God is not 
God is not arbitrary when he says this. He has designed this world in such a way that although we might not be humble ourselves, we too certainly love seeing humility in others. And the Bible in Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Believe it or not, the respect that you give others due to your own humility is a huge plus in interpersonal relationships. Whether it's in your marriage or in your workplace, humility is huge. This is not true. If you think of, for those of you who are married, a lot of our, our conflicts in marriage could be easily resolved if, if somebody, at least one person, just was humble enough to back off. But here's what I said. God is not arbitrary about this. God has designed the world to reflect His image. And so all of us, though we love being proud, deep down inside, we love seeing humility in others. It's one of those strange ironies. We love being proud ourselves, but we love seeing humility in others. In a recent study published by Harvard Business Review, 20,000 employees around the world, this is global, were interviewed on what they want in their leaders the most. And when it came to garnering commitment and engagement from employees, time and time again, no other leadership behavior had a bigger effect on employees than their bosses having the humility to respect them. Having a humble boss who treated them with respect was, in fact, more important to employees than recognition and appreciation, communicating an inspiring vision, providing useful feedback, or even opportunities for learning, growth, and development. All those things are important, but in this stunning study, Harvard Business Review proved that the Bible was right. When it commanded over 2,000 years ago, quote, in humility, value others above yourselves. So apparently God knew what he was talking about when he wrote that verse 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't take a Harvard study for us to understand that truth. As Christians, we read the Bible and we already know that. The question is whether or not we will practice it. And so when I was writing this morning's message, I was, I was, I was just going to teach on verse 6. But then I realized, verse 6 as a standalone makes no sense unless we first read verses 4 and 5. The the Apostle James enlightens our minds by informing us that pride stems from a desire to be known and admired by the world. Do you see that there? The the, The believer who struggles with pride must come to grips with a very strong admonition by the Apostle who starts off today's text in verse 4 with the labels of adulterers and adulteresses. Do you see that? Right there, verse 4, it starts off with those terms. Now here's the big question for this morning's sermon. Are you ready for it? Here's the big question. What does pride have to do with adultery? Adultery. 
seems completely unrelated until you read the rest of verse 4. So let me explain this text to you. I'm going to exposit the text. The divinely inspired apostle is teaching us here that the believer who gives into the sin of pride commits spiritual adultery because instead of being satisfied in having God's affection, such a believer begins to relentlessly strive for the world's adoration. And this is why in verse 5, the text says that the Holy Spirit who lives within you begins to yearn jealously whenever a believer falls into pride. God wants us to be wholeheartedly committed to Him and Him alone in the same manner a godly wife ought to strive solely for her husband's affections. For all of you wives, you ought to look prettiest for your husband's. It's it's his affections that you primarily ought to seek. And the Apostle James gets to the root of the matter here. What exactly is going on in your heart when it starts to bubble with pride? What's going on? When your heart is full of pride, it craves adoration from the world, the people around you, more than it desires affirmation from God. And that is why verse 4 starts off with the word adulterers. Pride is spiritual adultery. And as you read the text, it says in verse 8 that we must not be double-minded. I want you to listen carefully. If your life is fueled by pride, not only will you receive no reward in heaven, because remember, Jesus said that the earthly praise you receive from men will be the extent of your reward for any good thing you've done on earth if it's fueled by pride. But not only will you not receive a reward in heaven, but you will also have the resistance of a jealous God coming out against you. The word resist in verse 6 is a word that has a connotation of an army coming out to resist an enemy. Again, I don't know about you, but I have enough problems in my life. I don't need God to come against me as an enemy army. And so, friends, I urge you to kill pride and walk humbly with God. Trust me, your life will turn out better for it. You do not want God to be your enemy. But with all this talk about humility, how exactly can we be humble? The answers are found in verses 7 and 8. Humility begins with submission to God and drawing near to the Almighty. The good news is that for those of us who draw near to God, God will reciprocate that and draw near to us. He will never cast out anyone who comes to Him. Those who submit to God are less proud than those who refuse to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you think about it, in order to even get saved, you need to first be humble and recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And so in that light, humility is a gift from God that we honestly ought to yearn for. Our prayer ought to be, God, make me humble. And so submission to God begins with faith in the gospel. And I said a moment ago that humility is required even to be saved. 
Salvation begins the moment you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? Four essential points. There is a holy, righteous God who loves you, but he is also a God of justice who must send sinners to hell. Number two, all of us in here, we're all sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We are by nature children of wrath. And that's bad news because we all deserve hell as a result of our sins. But the great news, the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross for your sins. Three days later, historically resurrecting from the grave. So that point number four, if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord, God and Savior, you will have eternal life. There is no other way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And it starts with faith in that gospel that humility begins. And upon submitting to Christ, not merely calling Him your Savior, but calling Him your Lord, you submit to Christ. Constant humility then also requires an active resistance and fight against pride. Verse 7 states that if we resist the devil, then he will flee from us. There must be on our parts, therefore, an active fight against pride. Pride will not simply be defeated by apathy. When it raises its ugly head and it's not met with resistance, pride has a tendency to conquer the individual and grow. One famous pastor said that pride is similar to pornography on the body. It stokes it, but it does so unreasonably. It it leaves the individual deluded. On a practical level, if you slip into pride, I urge you to quickly repent, ask God to forgive you and keep you from it in the future. It is a deadly sin. Nothing declares the rejection of God as much as pride. And earlier I said that pride, in a sense, is implicit atheism. Think about that for a moment. Why am I saying that? What's occurring in your heart when you have pride? Nothing seeks to supplant God like pride. In fact, nothing claims that you yourself, you are God more than pride. And so as I close today, I want to leave you with three biblical encouragements on why we ought to strive to be humble. Because it's against your nature and against my nature. And unless we see it, we won't do it. Many of us don't even want it. It's, it's the oddest thing in the world. We want to see it in others, but we, we don't want it for ourselves. But before I do that, I want to make a quick caveat. And say that there are times where sharing our accomplishments and credentials are absolutely necessary. And this is where you need some wisdom. So, for example, a doctor or lawyer who does not share his academic accomplishments with his patients or clients may actually do, a, do them a disservice by creating doubt regarding his competencies. Now, for those of you who are in in the military, military service members, you have to write about yourselves on your OPRs and EPRs, or else you're out of a job. You kind of get the point there, right? 
There are times you must let people know what you've done, but remember there's a difference between boasting and gloating and letting people know what you've done. It, it, it requires wisdom. And may the Spirit of God give you that wisdom. But I'm giving you that caveat because I don't want you to simplistically think that you can't ever share something about yourself with anybody or else that's pride. That's not what the text is referring to. So having said that, in closing, here are three encouragements on why we ought to strive to be humble. And I think encouragement number one is the biggest of all. Encouragement number one as to why we should be humble. When we're humble, we're Christ-like. When we're humble, we're like Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate model of humility. I mean, if you were God, right, and you came down, you were thinking, okay, I'm going to save humanity. At the time, Rome was the power... I mean, still to this day, you go to a Colosseum, it is a magnificent sight to behold. All roads led to Rome. The emperor called himself a god. If you were God, wouldn't you just come down as Caesar or something and save the world? But Jesus didn't do that. He comes as a humble carpenter in obscure Galilee. Born to parents who are so poor that he had to be, they gave birth to him in a manger with animals. Though he was God, Jesus became a man in order to die for men. There is no greater example of humility. If there's ever a desire in my heart or a motivation in my heart for humility, it's Jesus. Listen to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, he being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a humiliating Roman cross. That's humility. So that's, that's, that's number one motivation. Um, I want to be humble because I want to be like Jesus. doesn't beat that. Second, I want to encourage you to be humble because humility is best expressed through acts of love and service. Life is too short to be proud and self-absorbed. You know, it, it, it is counterintuitive, I think, for most of us. But believe it or not, the more proud you are, the less people will want to remember you even at your own funeral. Like good riddance, right? People get fed up with proud people. But they will always love and remember those who've helped and served them along life's path. Isn't that the truth? Are you a server or do you constantly demand service? The Bible in Galatians 5.13 says, Through love, serve one another. Instead of talking about yourself, spend that energy serving others. Loving people. And strangely, over time, people will talk about you and your acts of love. It's very counterintuitive. The more humble you are, the more people will love you. Number three. God promises to lift up the humble. 
God promises to lift up the humble. And I get this one straight out of verse 10 of today's text. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. It's as if God is saying, okay, you could be proud and go for your 20 seconds of praise and fame by men, or you could be humble and trust me to lift you up. Which one do you want? If you have faith, you choose the latter. If you lack faith, give me the fame. Which one do you want? You know what you need to accomplish humility? Because it goes against our nature, what you need to accomplish humility is faith in God. God promises you that if you stay humble, He will quietly lift you up both in this life and the next. Scripturally, I want you to think about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. God quietly raised that humble man up out of the pit of slavery to become the leader of Egypt at that time. Jesus was the same way. He was humbled and died on a cross, and now he is lifted above every name, sitting on the right hand of Almighty God. And even if you're not lifted up in this life, God is always true to his word, and you will be exalted in the life to come. And that's why Jesus says that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I believe that when we get to heaven, some of the most recognized people by God will be people we've never heard of on this earth. Missionaries and servants who have been serving the Lord in quiet humility for decades. Anonymously. But here's the deal. Without faith, you and I will always settle for pride. We will always settle for our cheap 20 seconds of fame if we don't have faith in God who will certainly reward the humble. Do you believe Him? His promise is worth it. Earlier I opened up my message with Muhammad Ali, but Muhammad Ali wasn't the only man in history to call himself the greatest. Francis King Louis XIV used to go by that moniker as well. After reigning for 72 years, King Louis XIV finally died in 1715. And throughout his life, he had called himself the Great. And was the monarch who made the famous statement, I am the state. I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in Europe. His funeral was equally spectacular. And as his body lay in state in a golden coffin, and it was, it, was, it was gold, orders were given that the cathedral should be very dimly lit with only one special candle set above his coffin to dramatize his greatness. So you got that one candle glowing. It kind of stands out. He made it that way. But at the memorial... While thousands waited in hushed silence, Bishop Massillon, before he began to speak, slowly reached down and he snuffed out the candle. And in front of his large audience, he said, Only God is great. Indeed, one one day, all of our candles will be snuffed out. Remember that. On that day, no one will remember anything you've done for yourself. I guarantee you that. 
All your trophies, your certificates, your diplomas, and your rings will go into the trash bin. And it is prob- probably, I, if you don't believe me, I was thinking about this. It's probably safe to say that many of you probably didn't know who King Louis XIV was and what he did before I even mentioned it today. And honestly, if people don't remember King Louis XIV, do you honestly believe that they will remember you or someone like me? Of course not. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? So live humbly with your God. That's all God requires of you, right? To do justice and to walk humbly with your God. Because at the end of life, no one will remember the proud man who did much for himself. People, however, will remember the humble man who sacrificially served others. Isn't that the reason why we remember Jesus Christ? Because though he was God, he gave his life for us. How will you live out your remaining years? It is never too late to be humble. You could choose to be humble, or God could humble you. I would rather choose to be humble. May God give you the grace to be humble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for today's message.